Hello there. Welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. I apologize for taking last week off. I was traveling. The election was back in Louisville. It was just a very hectic time. Couldn't find time to record. I apologize for not letting you, the listeners, know where I was. I'm sure all of you all were very concerned, so thank you for the concerns. I did get mentioned by a couple people that they did miss the sack last week. So that is always nice to know that uh, people want to hear what I'm saying. There's my reasoning. This week is going to be a doozy of a show. Lots of stuff happened this past week, especially in college football. I can't wait to talk to you all about that. Also, the college basketball season has finally started. Personally, my favorite sport to watch. I find it the easiest to watch feel like I can sit down and watch any game and have a good time doing that, so I can't wait to break that down for you. NBA, full swing. Going to talk some, talk a little bit about some good performances, good players that are surprising, and players that are putting themselves in the MVP candidates really early in the season. As always, going to talk some NFL, going to do some recaps, look ahead. Going to give you some rapid fire, because I know you all probably missed that in the off week. And then... Gonna talk some new balls, gonna talk some uh, ovaries, gonna talk some lady balls. That's right, I'm gonna talk about women's college basketball. Gonna talk about the fundamentals. Not really, just gonna talk about one team in general and the dominance they've had. Not gonna give it away right now, but you could probably guess who it's about. First things first though, as I promised, we're gonna look at college football the past week and then the upcoming week. So as always, we got to look back, learn from the past before we can look ahead. This week was the second week, I believe, that the college football playoff rankings were in effect. Top four, top four were Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, and Washington, and in a crazy turn of events, Michigan, Clemson, and Washington all lose this past weekend. The second, the third, and the fourth ranked teams, according to College Football Playoff, all taken out this week. Almost ensuing chaos for the College Football Playoff Committee and almost ensuing great football for the rest of us college football fans. As I mentioned, Pitt went into second-ranked Clemson Tigers, beat them 43-42 on a last-second field goal. Clemson's fans still rushed the field after the loss. Got to be real disappointing for them. The third-ranked Michigan Wolverines went to Iowa, where Iowa hit a last-second field goal to win that game, 14-3. And then USC, the Trojans, 20th in the country. I'll admit, I was a little skeptical. Skeptical. Falling over all of my words right now. I was a little skeptical about that 20th rank for them. Um, Only game I really got to see from them this year was the first game against Alabama. And I understand they made a quarterback change. And that has really sparked their second half season and their success for this season. And it's Alabama, so it was a very tough opponent. First game, you can grow so much in the season. But I was just not sure about that ranking. But 
to go to Washington, fourth in the country. And USC pretty much dominated this game. They came out with a 13-point victory, 26-13. to Maybe they maybe they did deserve that ranking. I'm sure the college football committee is going to uh, bump them up a good amount. But again, like I said, the second, third, and fourth team all lost this past weekend. Now that we took care of that, I'd like to just look at some other games from around the college football world from this past weekend. First one I'm going to start with was the 10th-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions going to Indiana. And Indiana, high-powered offense, always a bit of a trap game for some teams. Penn State, it was close throughout the game. And then in the fourth quarter, Penn State coming out on top, 45-31. Going to talk more about Penn State and the situation they're in and a few when I talk about my rankings, where I think teams should be, and the overall chaos that could happen with the college football playoff committee and the rest of the season. But this past week, Penn State took care of business on the road in Indiana. Who's your daddy? Who's just, I guess it was the Nittany Lions this past weekend. Next game I'll talk about, the last game I'm pretty much going to talk about for the past college football weekend, Ole Miss going to 8th-ranked Texas A&M. Texas A&M coming off that crushing loss to Mississippi State last weekend. They dropped this game to Ole Miss with its backup freshman quarterback because Chad Kelly's out for the year. They dropped this game to Ole Miss 29-28. Almost, if last week didn't ensure they could make the college football playoff, this loss has to do it for the Texas A&M Aggies. They started off real hot. They lose their starting quarterback in uh, Trevor Knight as well. I'm not sure who replaced him, but... Clearly, he did not get the job done as they fall to Ole Miss this past weekend. Before I get into next week's slate of college football games, I'm recording this on a Tuesday. As we all have come to learn, the college football playoff committee releases their rankings Tuesday nights at 8 or 9. I'm, I believe it's 9. So I'm going to try and preview and give you, I guess, my opinions on who should be where and just potential scenarios that could happen for the uh, rest of the season according to the AP top 25 the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide obviously they got all the votes I believe for number one they're 10-0 obviously should be number one no arguments there second ranked team in the country Ohio State followed by Louisville Michigan Clemson Wisconsin at six Washington falls to seven after the loss to USC Oklahoma, Penn State, and then West Virginia rounds out the top 10. After that, you got Utah, Colorado, Oklahoma State, Western Michigan, and USC. I'm only going to list the top 15 because at this point in the season, even though it's a little bit late, I feel like only the top 15 teams and maybe up to the point of maybe the top 12 have a chance of even being considered for the college football playoff. If I'm the college football committee, I think I agree with the AP for the first three teams as Alabama, Ohio State, and Louisville. Some people could put Louisville ahead of Ohio State because Louisville's only loss was at Clemson, who is fifth according to the AP. And I understand the AP is not the Bible. It doesn't need to be followed, everything like that. But it's just a little nice thing to base all of this off of. So as I was saying, Louisville, their only loss at Clemson to the fifth-ranked team even after their loss. And Ohio State's ninth, their loss was against ninth-ranked Penn State with two losses. Both difficult places to go when at two of the craziest environments in college football. So 
I'm going to go Alabama, Louisville, and then Ohio State. I'm also going to put Louisville ahead of Ohio State just because of Lamar Jackson and his explosiveness and the Heisman, his Heisman candidacy. People might think that doesn't matter, but I believe it really does. He's probably the biggest superstar in college football right now. Good for ratings. Louisville is always a sports hub for they watch the most games. The city of Louisville does, I believe. They have like the highest viewership for basketball and football. I'm fairly confident in that. So I think that does matter money-wise to the college football playoff committee because in the end, it's all about making money. So Louisville ahead of Ohio State, and then it comes down to that fourth team. You could really make the case for this fourth team for so many teams. You could say Michigan, only losing by a point on the road at Iowa. Clemson, only losing by a point to a good pit team with a great run game. Washington, their loss. I understand it wasn't the best loss because they lost by 13, but at least they lost to a ranked opponent and... At the time, they were 20th, but this coming week, they'll probably be at least in the top 15. You can also make the case for Wisconsin, sitting at 7-2. Their only losses, Michigan, Ohio State. So, again, it's really up in the air right now for that fourth spot. If I am the committee, as much as this pains me to say, I would probably keep Michigan in the top four. Iowa isn't a terrible team. They're not a great team. It, to make the case for Michigan, it was at Iowa. They only lost by a point on a last-second field goal. The game was close the entire way. I understand Clemson only lost by a point on a last-second field goal, and that game was close the entire way. But because it was at Clemson, I'm going to – that's – a little concerning for me so like I said as much as I don't want to see it Michigan in my opinion should be that fourth team in the college football playoff for this week so now that we've covered my four teams in I want to talk a little bit about just some of the crazy scenarios that could be going on with these upcoming weeks and determining who could make that college football playoff First place I want to look at, because I know the most about it, is the Big Ten. If Ohio State beats Michigan during their matchup on the 26th and Penn State wins out, which is very possible because I believe they only have a game against Rutgers and then at Michigan State, both pretty down years for Rutgers and Michigan State. I understand at Michigan State could be a little dangerous place to play, but Penn State's the better team in both of those games. Penn State wins out and Ohio State beats Michigan. Ohio State might be ranked higher in the college football standings than Penn State. Penn State goes to the Big Ten Championship game to face either probably Nebraska or Wisconsin. And in the past, the college football playoff committee has put such a premium and such importance on being your conference champion that are they going to really overlook Ohio State, because they don't have that Big Ten championship, I think you do, honestly. I hate to say that, but I really think you do because in the past, in the past, especially in 2014 when Ohio State did make 
the college football playoff in the fourth seed. You got to look when they made it over Baylor and TCU from the Big 12, who doesn't have a college football a uh, conference championship game, was because Ohio State beat Wisconsin in the Big 10 championship game. And granted, it was a 59-0 win, but the conference championship to have on your resume really helps. And Penn State, their only losses, Michigan, and then a bit of a kind of bad loss to Pitt in a close game, but Pitt just beating Clemson. So could you look at putting Penn State, a two-loss Big Ten champion, into it? I could see them doing it just because of the conference championship on the resume. Now, if Michigan beats Ohio State on the 26th, which God forbid that happens, Michigan makes the Big Ten championship game to face either Nebraska or Wisconsin because the way things shake out, Ohio State's eliminated with two Big Ten losses and Michigan owns the tiebreaker against Penn State. If Ohio State beats Michigan, and then Penn State loses one of those games. Ohio State goes on to play either Nebraska or Wisconsin. At this point, it's looking like it's going to be Wisconsin. Now, if Wisconsin beats any one of those three teams, you got to think they're right there to be put in it too with the Big Ten championship on the resume, and their only losses being against Ohio State in a close game, and then at Michigan in a real close game, only 14-7. to Wisconsin about the only team this year besides Iowa to be able to slow down Michigan's offense. What is also concerning, though, for Michigan now, their starting quarterback has a hurt left shoulder. He's out for the year. So what are they going to be able to do on offense now? I never really thought the strength of that team was their offense, though. I always thought their defense is what really was the strength of that team. So now Big Ten is going to be real interesting these last couple of weeks. Can't wait to see how it turns out. Hoping it turns out well for the Buckeyes, but that's that scenario for the Big Ten. Now that I probably covered the most complicated situation, going to go down south to that southeastern conference. And this is pretty much the most easy-to-understand scenario. Alabama wins out, or even if they lose to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, which not likely going to happen, but if Alabama wins out, which is most likely going to happen, they win the SEC championship game against, it could be against Georgia, Florida, or Tennessee. None of those three teams comes anywhere close to Alabama in those games at all in the SEC championship game, especially on a neutral field. Alabama, the best team in college football, cleans house against any one of those three teams. Alabama more than likely going to just stay at the number one spot the entire time. Now, bros, we're going to go out west to that Pac-12. And this is also another bit of a complicated what-if scenario, but... Washington, with that one loss, is now 6-1 and one in the Pac-12. And overall in the conference, Washington State is 7-0. and oh. They're 8-2 and two on the year, though, but 7-0. and oh. They haven't really played a real tough schedule. Washington and Washington State do have one more game. I believe it's at Washington State. If Washington wins that game, they're in the Pac-12 championship. If Washington State wins that game, they're in the Pac-12 championship. 
Look in now at the Pac-12 South. Colorado is 6-1 in the conference, and they're sitting at 12th. And then USC is 6-2, 20th in the country right now. And then Utah is 5-2 in the conference and 15th in the country. What I could most likely see happening, Washington beating Washington State, and then Colorado keeping up what they're doing, winning the South, and Washington winning the North, and then Washington versus Colorado in the Pac-12 championship game. Now this is where things can potentially get real interesting. If Colorado wins this game, overall they'll be 8-2, and two, but they'll have the Pac-12 championship on their resume. What's even more interesting before any of this can take place, Colorado, I believe the... Yeah, they do. Colorado plays Washington State the 19th, so this coming weekend. So one of those teams is going to have a loss. So that also throws a wrench in the plan. But I think Colorado gets it done here. And then, as I said, Washington gets it done as well. And those two face each other in the Pac-12 championship. Colorado, only two losses on the year. Won to Michigan early in the year. Kept it close for most of that game. Did fall 45-28, though. And then they did lose at USC 21-17. But their USC is going to be ranked pretty high after this weekend as well. So is that really a bad loss? Doesn't look like it right now. On the entire flip side of this, though, if Washington wins the Pac-12... Their one loss being to USC, who, like I just said, would be pretty high in the rankings. Do you hold them out of the college football playoff with just one loss and a conference championship on their resume? I personally don't think you do, but I'm a big proponent of conference champions should make it if their losses are okay. And when I say okay, I don't mean like, it was an okay loss, whatever. I mean, like, if it was a good quality loss, then that is an okay loss. If it was on the road, close, I understand that. If it was at home, though, I don't think that's an okay loss. You shouldn't be able to qualify for that. Like I'm saying, if you could, I hope you were able to follow that. If not, I don't blame you because it is so confusing what could happen these last couple weeks in college football. But that's the beauty of this. There is so much more that could happen. So much more chaos could ensue. And I hope the college football playoff committee is just pulling their hair out about all these situations. I hope everything that could go wrong goes wrong for these guys. I know that might make me a dick on that situation, but this is their job. They get paid to do this. I hope they have to work a little bit. As I said, chaos could happen. With that being said, going to look ahead to this upcoming week in college football. A real big game to get things started. Sixth rank at the moment. Louisville Cardinals going to Houston for a Friday night game. Houston, the wheels have fallen off in the middle of the season. They have two bad losses. But I think Tom Herman, Greg Ward Jr., they find a way to get it done Friday night. An H-Town takeover, as they like to say, happens. Houston upsets Louisville, knocking Louisville out of the college football playoff contention. While that knocks them out of the college football playoff 
contention. I don't think that knocks Lamar Jackson out of Heisman contention. I bet you he has a real big game, probably five touchdowns he'll be responsible responsible for at least this Friday night. I don't know a lot about Houston's defense, but I doubt they're good enough to stop him. I don't think anybody's defense is really good enough to stop him, just contain him maybe, but like I said, Houston ending Louisville's college football playoff hopes, but not ending Lamar Jackson's Heisman campaign. Next game to look at, the fifth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes going to Michigan State. Michigan State 3-7, and seven, so you might think Ohio State might have this in the bag, but Michigan State always plays the Buckeyes tough. Um, Michigan State is almost always has a couple players on the team that Ohio State let out of Ohio or the region, or they were getting recruited as well, and Ohio State just... Didn't put enough emphasis on them as much as Michigan State did. And Michigan, these Michigan State kids always have a chip on their shoulder, it feels like, for Ohio State. Michigan State would love nothing more in such a down season to have this as, oh, we spoiled Ohio State's chances. I don't think that's going to happen. I think JT Barrett and Curtis Samuel and a couple of guys on the defense understand that while they do have a big game in two weeks, this game is the most important. I think Urban Meyer is going to really translate that to them. JT Barrett, his experience winning in, um, winning at Michigan State is going to really home, come through in this game. I expect to be pretty close for a while, and then the fourth quarter, maybe the Buckeyes get a couple of touchdowns real quick. Maybe a 14-17 to 17 point win for the Buckeyes, but... The final score is not going to indicate how close this game actually was throughout the day. As I previously mentioned, though, Washington State, 23rd in the country, going to Colorado in a big Pac-12 matchup. I'm going to take Washington State in this, which kind of knocks out Colorado of the Pac-12 contention, but they still could make it with a little bit of help from USC and Utah losing, which is still possible. So... Mike Leach, I love his offense, how high-powered it is. I love Mike Leach as a guy. Love to have a beer with him. Love him as a coach. He doesn't believe in concussions, so that's always good in this new wave of us only thinking concussions happen all the time. So I'll take Washington State in this one over Colorado. And then a big game, the last game I'm going to talk about for this weekend, Oklahoma, 11th in the country, going to West Virginia. I don't know enough about West Virginia. I've seen them play a couple games, but never a full game, so I can't tell you if they play hard for four quarters or not, which is probably the mo- one of the most important things in college football. Let's not get that confused. Playing four quarters, one of the most important. I'm going to take Baker Mayfield on Oklahoma. I think they got too much firepower. I don't know enough about West Virginia's offense, but I had a feeling they don't have as much firepower as Baker Mayfield and the rest of the Sooners do. So I'm going to take Oklahoma in this one, and that only helps their cause for the college football playoff uh, talks because some people still think they have a chance. Their only losses, Houston, first game of the year, and then Ohio State, pretty bad loss, though, to Ohio State at home. But if they win out, they can outright win the Big 12 championship game. And like I said, in the past, College Football Playoff Committee has put a big premium, a lot of importance on being your conference champion. So do the Sooners have a chance? I honestly don't know. I think they do, but 
They got to take care of business at West Virginia this weekend, and I think they do. All right, that's going to wrap up the college football talk for this week. I know it was a little heavy, but there was a lot going on that I really needed to talk about. So that takes care of that. And now we can shift to the NFL and talk about those good old balls. Keep it in your pants, folks. I know it's real exciting because we all know what that sound means. It's time for the rapid fire from the Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls for week 11 of the NFL. Boom! First game, Thursday night, the Ravens made the Browns. Pretty racist name that nobody talks about. Ravens make the Browns lose this game 28-7. Luckily for Browns fans, though, RG3 is practicing this Wednesday, so look for the savior to be for you in a Week 11 matchup. Next game, boom! The Redskins hand Sam Badford and the Vikings their fourth loss in a row, 26-20, and Kirk Cousins and the rest of the Vikings were ooh after that big win. Next game, boom! Lions, Tigers, and the Chicago Bears. Oh my god, they are bad. As the Buccaneers and Jameis Winston win this one, 36-10. Next game, boom. Cam Newton, you can dab all you want, but it's not going to stop the bleeding on this terrible season. As the Chiefs, again this weekend, and the Panthers a loss, 20-17. Next game, boom. In what was the bird match of the week. The Eagles and the Wentz Wagon probably picked up a few more hitchhikers and added them on the bandwagon because they took care of the Falcons this week, 24-15. Next game, boom. Bryce Petty and the Jets played just like that. Petty, LA Ram fans, aren't you happy to have such firepower back in LA? I know I am. Rams win this one in a real dogfight, 9-6. Next game, boom. Houston. We do not have a problem this weekend because the Texans win a big AFC South game at the Jaguars 24-21. Last game, boom, Monday Night Football matchup as the New York Largest play the Cincinnati Bengals. Giants win this one 21-20 and after the game, the Giants probably did just that. Bang all the Cincinnati gals. Huh. Well, that's that. That was the rapid fire for Week 10 in the NFL, but there are a couple games I want to talk about a little bit more, look at a little bit more in depth. First one of those being the Packers going to the Tennessee Titans. Titans win this game 47-25. Tennessee was scoring at will all day. Marcus Mariota probably had one of his better games as a pro. 295 yards and four touchdowns. DeMarco Murray, though, was a real big story. He had 123 yards and a touchdown. Also threw for a touchdown. And then old father time, Delaney Walker, 124 yards and a touchdown. The bigger story in this game, though, isn't going to be how well the Titans played. It's going to be about how poorly Green Bay played. And I am going to put this loss on Aaron Rodgers and then Mike McCarthy. And then I guess I want to put it on the Packers front office and their inability to get any help for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers' numbers have declined in the past couple years, and this is just, it's more paid attention to this year because they're not winning as many games and they're struggling to be even in contention in the NFC North. So there's a little concerning, but if you look around at what Aaron Rodgers has, I don't think the problem is lack of good players at skill positions. I really don't. 
Jordy Nelson is really good. I don't think Jordy Nelson is as good as people think he is, but him and Aaron Rodgers just seem to have a connection, and that's not there this year. I'm not really sure why. Randall Cobb in the right role in the slot is one of, if not the best receiver, not one. He's not the best receiver in the game. I apologize for saying that, but one of the best slot receivers if he's in the right role, which is the slot. And then Devontae Adams, he's a good receiver as well. They got good running backs with a one-two punch of Lacey, who I understand is hurt and not there, but and I also do understand James Starks, the other back in that one-two punch, has been out a while, but he was there this game, and they just couldn't get anything going. And it's getting to the point where what seems to be the problem? Their defense isn't terrible. Their O-line isn't bad either. What a lot of people are saying is people are just, they figured out Mike McCarthy's system and his plays and everything, and maybe that's the case. I personally can't tell you what plays are installed every year from year to year for the Packers, but if that's the case, maybe Green Bay front office needs to look to make a change. I don't think they're going to pull the trigger this year at the end of this year, especially if Green Bay somehow finds a way to make the playoffs, but probably throughout in the middle of next year, if he can't pull it together and they don't make the playoffs this year, I got to see, I hope, if I was a Packers fan, they would get rid of him because Green Bay, it's Title Town USA, baby, and they're not going to settle for mediocrity, and mediocrity could be making the playoffs and losing in the first round, which I understand he didn't do last year. They had a nice little deep run. Almost uh, made the NFC Championship game, but I gotta. There's, I can't put my finger on what it is. I don't think it's Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's the skill players around him. I just can't put my finger on it, and nobody really can. Not I don't think any media member really can, and right now I don't think anybody in the Packers organization really can. So, like I said, the Titans win this game, but the story from this game is more about the Packers and just. What is wrong? What is going on up there in Wisconsin? Next game I'm going to look at in what was probably the wildest finish so far this year in the NFL. The Broncos beat the Saints 25-23. Game was tied after Drew Brees found Brandon Cooks on a remarkable touchdown catch by Cooks in the fourth quarter on a game-winning drive. What looked to be the game-winning drive, as I should say, Um, Saints were down, they scored, game was tied 23-23, make the field goal, get out of there, you're at home, it's a great win against a good opponent with a great defense, but Denver blocks the field goal, returns it all the way back for two points, and then wins the game 25-23, just a crazy ending, a lot of controversy on if he stepped out of bounds once he returned it. But I I didn't see it. I don't think he did. So that's pretty much all. I just wanted to cover that because when a crazy ending like this happens, you got to talk about it a little bit. I don't think this really hurts the Saints' chances of making the playoffs. That division they're in in the NFC South is so bad. Really helps the Broncos' cause because they can't afford to lose many games with the Raiders and the Chiefs playing as well as they are. Next game, going to look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Des Bryant, and the rest of the Cowboys go into Pittsburgh with 12 seconds left. 
Dak hands the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott. He bursts through the line for the game-winning touchdown. Elliott had 114 yards on the ground through nine games that they've played. He has over 1,000 yards. I think he's third all-time in through your first nine games, the most yards you've ever had, which is incredible. I think he's – I know he's behind Adrian Peterson. I don't know who else it is. He had two touchdowns, um, one 85-yard screen pass for a touchdown. Dak Prescott, the ultimate game manager, it seems like, two touchdowns, 319 yards. And big news in the Dallas camp, Tony Romo is going to back up Dak Prescott. I don't agree with the decision, but it's not my decision to make. Tony Romo didn't do anything to lose the job. I'd give it back to him, but it's hard to argue not letting Dak Prescott just keep the job because despite that first loss, he's he's got the Cowboys eight wins in a row, an 8-1 and one record. They could have won that first game if clock management was just a little bit better on their part. So I'm really happy to see a nice young nucleus for the Cowboys take shape in Prescott, Elliott, and then even though he's a little bit older, he's still fairly young. Des Bryant at wide receiver. Three just real explosive playmakers right there. From this game, though, something that's not getting a lot of mention is the fact that after this loss, the Steelers are 4-5 and five on the year. And a lot of people thought with their high-powered offense, once they got Bell back from the suspension, that this offense was going to be one of the best in football. And it is, and the defense isn't really terrible. They're more of a bend-don't-break mentality right now, but they're just not finding ways to win games. And Tomlin and Big Ben have said it's just discipline reasons, and I think it is. I definitely think this team is good enough to at least make the AFC championship game probably face the uh, Patriots, but they need to they need to get the heads out of their asses, talk to whoever's making all these little mistakes, and just get that corrected because, like I said, I think this team has so much talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that to not fulfill what they could possibly be and be as good as they could be, I think you could kind of compare them to the Packers. I think both teams have a lot of weapons, their de- both teams' defenses aren't terrible. It's just, why can't they win? And they're two historically great franchises. And it's just, right now, it's just, why aren't we winning? We are we have enough talent, we're good enough, and we're just not doing it. So, like I said, all the news in this game is going to go to Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and how great they were. But what could what needs to be looked at and what could cause some concern is, Steelers are below 500 at 4 and 5 and the way they're trying to make the playoffs and how good they are it's a little concerning. Because the show is running a little long, it's not a rapid fire, it's just a quicker look ahead at next week's NFL games. Thursday night, the Saints go to the Panthers. I think the Panthers win this one. I think Cam Newton has probably his best game of the year. It's a real must win for both teams honestly, but I think the Panthers get it done in this one. Now we move to the Sunday games. Steelers at the Browns. Browns are looking for the first win of the year. I don't think they're going to get it this weekend either. Steelers bring the record back to 5-5 and get a real big win in the AFC North. Ravens go to the Cowboys. Cowboys, I like them a lot in this game. The Ravens loss is really going to help out the Steelers. So Ravens 
falling to the Cowboys in this one. Ezekiel Elliott probably going to have a real big day. Next game, Jaguars at the Lions. Lions, not much to be said about this one. Jaguars are a dumpster fire of a team. Don't look now, but Titans have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs in the AFC South. Though, they need a win this weekend at the Colts. I think they get it. I think Mariota and DeMarco Murray make enough big plays, and the defense the Titans have shuts down Andrew Luck when it most matters, probably in the fourth quarter, and the Titans steal a win in Indianapolis this weekend. The next game, the Bills go to the Bengals. Bills Mafia is going to pull out a win this weekend, I feel like, and again, that loss really helps the Steelers in the AFC North. The next game, Jameis Winston and the Buccaneers go to the Chiefs. Chiefs, I don't know how they do it. Andy Reid has them play great football all the time. They just find ways to win, but not this weekend. Jameis Winston says, uh-uh, and the Buccaneers win that game. Big win for them in the NFC South. Next game we're going to look at, it's another bird matchup, so I'll give you one. Next game we're going to look at, it's the Battle of the Birds, so I might as well give you one. Eagles go to the Seahawks. Seahawks coming off that real big win in Foxborough against the Patriots. Seahawks, I guess they're just a second-half team. Pete Carroll always has them playing so good in the second half, and I guess that's when their team really comes together. I think Carson Wentz makes one too many rookie mistakes, and the Seahawks take this one, especially because it's in Seattle. The next game, Packers-Redskins. I'm going to take the Redskins, I think, even more just hectic finger pointing and what is wrong with us is going to ensue for the Packers after this. And I don't foresee them rebounding this weekend against the Redskins. Kirk Cousins, big day through the air more than likely, leading the Redskins to a win. Last game, Monday night, Texans, Raiders. At the Raiders, oh boy, I'm going to go Texans. I had no reason. Brock Osweiler maybe, but Texans. With all that being said, that wraps up our two most popular balls here on Carson's Sack Podcast. Now, as I mentioned in the start, we're going to talk a little NBA. The season is so early, so I'm just going to give a quick little overview of the teams that have been playing pretty well and then MVP candidates right now. Cavaliers have the best record in the NBA, followed by the Clippers and then some other teams to look at. You got, of course, the Warriors. Um, The Hawks have been playing pretty well quietly in the East. The Raptors as well. Out West, the Spurs, again, a good team with Leonard and led by Popovich. They're always going to be dangerous. Biggest surprise right now to me, though, is the fact that Cleveland is 8-1 or 9-1, I believe. And then the Clippers, they're playing real well. They put up 70 points in the first half twice this year. No other team has done that, which I find incredible how well they're playing. People are trying to think that because of their size down low with Blake and um, DeAndre, that they're going to be able to give the Warriors some trouble. I think the Warriors' guards play is going to be a lot better than Chris Paul and the rest of J.J. Redick. And can you name me the fifth starter on that team? I can't. I mean, Chris Paul, Redick, Blake, and then DeAndre, that's a pretty good team. But what their problem past couple years for the Clippers has been that fifth guy. And I don't think they addressed that enough in this offseason. So... Like I said, it's way too early right now to even think of playoff matchups, but those two teams met 
in the playoffs, I would give it to the Warriors. And then on the Eastern side, again, way too early to even think about playoffs right now. But Cavaliers look real strong. More than likely, it'll be the Cavaliers against the Raptors. And the Cavaliers will probably have to go through Atlanta at some point. And Dwight Howard, I guess, is playing pretty good right now, considering all the uh, scrutiny he's been under the past couple years. He's kind of flying under the radar a little bit in Atlanta, which is good for him because he doesn't really like he's not good at being criticized and that really I feel like he takes that real personal and Atlanta's not really talked about a lot so that's good for him he's having a pretty solid year helping the Hawks be contenders in the East right now right now I'm going to talk about the uh, MVP race in the NBA right now I feel like it only comes down to two guys Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Right now, if I had to give it to somebody, I'd say James Harden just because his team's winning a little bit more than Russell Westbrook's. James Harden moved to point guard this offseason by Mike D'Antoni, and it's paying off big. His assist numbers are up. His rebound numbers are up. His points per game's actually up. He had 23 points in the first quarter last night. Right now, if the season ended, I'd give the MVP to James Harden. Also in that conversation, but hasn't really made a crazy big impact with stats so far. As always, LeBron James. But again, so early in the season that it's very hard to tell right now. But season ended today, my vote's for James Harden. All right, time to talk two new balls on the sack. First one, men's college basketball. As I said in the beginning, this is my favorite sport to watch. I love it. More than NFL, college football, anything. College basketball, I love it. The season is still very young, so they've only been playing games for about five days. So not really much anything crazy has happened so far in the college basketball world. But Duke and all their freshmen with Grayson Allen coming back, they're number one. Kentucky, all their freshmen with Isaiah Briscoe coming back, they're two. The defending champions in Villanova are three. They just had a big game last night at Purdue. Purdue, probably one of the uh, sleepers this year in college basketball. Their front line, maybe one of, if not the best, in college basketball. Going to be contenders in the Big Ten all year. Villanova went to Purdue, which is a tough place to play. Villanova came out with a win last night in that game. Oregon, um... Last year's not really much known team. They're fourth. North Carolina, after losing Marcus Page, they're fifth. Indiana, who beat Kansas this past weekend, they're sixth. Indiana has just so many guys that can shoot and just play basketball real well. I like them a lot this year. Kansas, as I previously mentioned, they're seventh right behind Indiana. Virginia, their slow style of play is always going to be there with their defense. They're eighth. Wisconsin and Nigel Hayes, they're ninth. Arizona just beat Michigan State this past weekend in a real close game. Arizona won that one. They're tenth. Xavier had a bit of a scare against Lehigh this past weekend. They were a little bit of a Cinderella team last year. They're eleventh. And then coming off of a lot of possible sanctions, nothing really did happen to them. Louisville is 12th. They got a lot of good young talent with Donovan Mitchell, um, Ray Spalding, Jalen Johnson, Dang Adele. I like what they're doing in Louisville. Rick Pitino is going to have that team playing good defense. I did see somewhere, though, he doesn't want to focus 
as much in the past this year on defense as he usually has because he knows this team, its offense is where its strength's at, not the defense. That was your top 12 for right now. There's only the most somebody has even played is two games. So like I said, extremely early. That was the top 12 in the AP top 25. Some other teams now that to just look out for throughout the year, West Virginia under Huggins, their uh, defense and their press is always going to be there. I love the way they play, how tough they are. In the Big 12, that's going to be a real tough conference as always. West Virginia is a team to look out for. Another team, UCLA, they got Lorenzo Ball, I think that's his name, the real good freshman point guard. He's had a lot of highlight dunks this year, put up some good numbers so far. Texas, also in the Big 12, I like them. Shaka Smart always has his players playing real smart and real, that was a pun, not intended though, I apologize, has his players playing really high IQ levels of basketball. There you go, I'll take the pun out of it for you. And then the last team, to look at 17 ranked St. Mary's Gales they've put up a lot of points put up a lot of shots almost everyone on their team is back from last year and I really like what they're doing out west the Gales I like them a lot this year now that I previewed that I want to talk about two really big games on Tuesday night it's the Champions Classic in New York I really am so glad that Early on in the year, so many good teams want to play each other just to see where they're at. And then I love how the NCAA sets up these little Champions Classic type things early in the year to get such good teams to come and play each other. The nightcap in this series tonight, Duke, number one in the country against 7th ranked Kansas. Grayson Allen leads Duke in points with 20 and a half. Frank Mason leads Kansas with 30 points per game. Emil Jefferson, which was a big piece missing for Duke last year. He's back. He's playing good, leading the team in rebounds. And then Luke Kennard, a real nice shooter for Duke. He's played really well so far. He's got four assists. He leads the Blue Devils in that. Frank Mason, all the way across the board, leads Kansas in points, rebounds, and assists. If Kansas is going to win this game tonight, they're going to need other players to step up. I'm real excited to see the talent. Freshman on both sides. Duke has a lot of income talent with Tatum and then Bolden. And then I one other person as well. I forget his name though. It's going to be interesting. Jaleel Okafor's year when they won the uh, national championship game. Coach K did a great job of blending young freshmen with his returning upperclassmen. He's got the same scenario this year. It's going to be real interesting to see how he managed that throughout the year. If he can do it again, I like Duke a lot come March. Kansas as well, they lost a couple of old older key players, probably the oldest man in college basketball last year, Perry Ellis. They lose him, they bring in a good crop of talent, but it's also going to see be interesting to see how they blend players that weren't asked to do a lot last year but have a lot of talent with all these new guys as well. Bill Self is always going to be relevant in the Big 12 and also in the, champion, in the uh, tournament come March. I like both of these team comes March a lot if they can blend the incoming talent with the great talent they already had on their rosters with their upperclassmen. The first game, though, in the Champions Classic, you got the second-ranked Kentucky Wildcats against the 13th-ranked Michigan State Spartans. And the story 
this year for Kentucky, what it always is. Calipari brings in a great recruiting class, and then what it is starting now to become, a couple guys that were key contributors are coming back. Briscoe, Isaiah Briscoe, point guard, came back for his sophomore year. Derek Willis, senior, is back, and then... Isaac Humphreys wasn't even old enough to go to the draft. He's back as well. Incoming for the Cats, though, they got my favorite player in all of college basketball this year, De'Aaron Fox. Then they bring in Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo. Great center. Looks a lot like Dwight Howard. Thank God he doesn't play a lot like Dwight Howard. They bring in those three guys. They also bring in Wenin Gabriel, who is just Mr. Energy. Thank God there's enough lights in the state in the arenas because if it was even mood lighting, you wouldn't be able to see that kid. And then they bring in Sasha Keela Jones, who I feel a little bit bad for because in the first couple games, I feel like he's gotten playing time, but he's been lost in the shuffle. I really hope that's not the case for him overall this year. I hope he gets maybe 10 to 15 minutes a game because I think he's a good, good player. Better than Scalabissier last year. Kind of the same body frame, but I think he a little bit bigger, beefier, and just plays a little bit harder than Scal did. No offense to Scal, you're my favorite player last year. Big story, though, on the other side of this matchup is the Spartans, and they're coming off of getting upset in the first round of last year's NCAA tournament. They did lose to Kansas, no, to Arizona, my apologies. Last week, so they're starting off their season with two real big games. I like that. Tom Izzo normally relies more on upperclassmen, but this year, so far, Miles Bridges, the 12th ranked, I believe, player in the country, he was top 15, I know that. Um, Guard, 21 points in the first game. Um, He played real well. Also, what you got to look for are the Spartans. Tom Izzo and his coaching, how he's going to be able to progress the young players and blend, again, young guys like Miles Bridges with older guys like Tum Tum Nair, who I best name in college basketball, but I really like him as a point guard because he looks more to facilitate rather than get his own shot. If him and Bridges can develop a bit of a chemistry, which I think they already have so far through the summer practices, and it showed in the first game a little bit against Arizona that that him and Bridges um, do have a bit of a chemistry. They're going to be really really dangerous, not only in the Big Ten, but come March as well. But that is so far away. Tonight, two games. I'm going to go UK, and I'm going to go Duke. And I'm going to go UK by 10, and I'm going to go Duke by 6. That's that for college basketball. Again, I'm so excited that season is finally here, and I get to talk about that to you all. I hope you all enjoy listening to me talk about that because I enjoy talking about it and watching it and everything like that. Last topic for this episode, I understand it's a real lengthy one. If you're still listening, time to talk about the ovaries. I know I waited all the way, teased you at the start of the episode. Last thing I'm going to talk about, that's its cliffhanger, guys. I want you to listen to all of it so you could hear about the ovaries. We're going to talk women's college basketball. Not really going to talk women's college basketball. Only going to talk about one team because I only know one team, and you all more than likely probably only know one team, and that team, obviously, the UConn women's basketball team. Gio Ariema loses so many good players this past year. 
A lot of these players so far haven't had to play, haven't been tested. They have a bit of a scare against uh, Florida State, I believe it was last night. The only one by two. They've won 70-plus games in a row. Um, that's all I really have about that. Just wanted to mention that. Um, in closing about the ovaries and the women's college basketball, the Lady Balls, as I will reference if I ever do talk about them again, which I probably will only in the case if UConn does something insane or loses a game this year, which they probably might. Oh, well. But UConn, women's basketball, my pick to win the women's college basketball championship. Obviously, teams like Baylor and Notre Dame are ahead of them, and Stanford is 11th. People think they're good, too. I I could not name you one player on any team in women's college basketball. I apologize. I just don't watch it like that, but... My pick for the Women's College Basketball Championship, UConn, obviously. Duh. Last thing I want to talk about, it's on the home front. I go to University of Kentucky, obviously. I've mentioned that before. It's a big weekend for UK football. Mark Stoops, real rough start to the year. But if they win this game this weekend, senior day at home for the Cats against Austin P, who... I don't think they've won a game. If they win that, they're going bowling. First time in six years or so, maybe since 2010. Real big game. Can't wait to watch it. Get out your bowling shoes, Cats fans, because I think we're going. And hope to God we go to the Independence Bowl or the Music City Bowl or Belt Bowl or something like that around here where we can go and I can go and have a good time. Oh my goodness. If you are still listening to this, thank you so much. This has been a very big episode. There were a lot of meat on those wings and a lot of poop left in those diapers. Luckily, we ate the wings and cleaned the poop. Talked about all the balls we wanted to. Talked about the lady balls and the ovaries. It's a big episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. When you do, sharing this, getting this podcast in the ears of as many people as possible is the goal Thank you so much for the continued support from everyone. It means more to me than you all could ever imagine. Tune in next week for the 12th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. This was the 11th. We talked balls on this one. We're going to talk balls on that one. And as always, we'll be seeing you.